Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Double Coverage Podcast with myself, Sean Holko, and my colleague, Mac Irvin III. On today's episode, we have our first ever guest in studio today for our podcast, none other than our friend, Mr. Gary Singh. How are we doing today, Gary? Good, good, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, you know, all things considered. On today's podcast, the three of us have a lot to talk about today. We are going to get into our favorite memories of the legend, Kobe Bryant, as currently, as I'm speaking right now, the funeral for him and his daughter Gianna is taking place at the Staples Center. So the three of us are going to get into our favorite memories of Kobe Bryant throughout his entire illustrious career. We will also talk about the new CBA proposal for the collective bargaining agreement in the National Football League. A new proposal came out last week, and there have been a lot of debates about this new proposal. Mac and I will talk about that later here in the podcast. And finally, to end the podcast for today, we will get into the fight that took place this past weekend between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder in one of the most awaited heavyweight fights in a long time in boxing. So, first, And uh, that'll be a nice uh, ending to get the taste out of your mouth. Yeah, to, to get the taste out of your mouth, so to say, because we know Tyson Fury got some taste in his mouth this past weekend. So, Mac, let's just get right into it. Gary as well. Kobe Bryant passed away on January 26th. We all know how it happened. We talked about it here on this podcast. But today's episode in this segment is about talking about our favorite memories of Kobe Bryant throughout his career, after his career, just your favorite memories of Kobe. So, Gary, since you're our first guest, first of all, thank you for joining us today. And I just wanted to get your favorite memory of Kobe Bryant to start out. Uh, first off, I just want to thank both of you guys for having me on today. Appreciative that I'm the first-time guest here, so thank you guys. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys. But um, Kobe Bryant memories, man, there's so many since a child. Um, I've been watching Kobe Bryant, and it's just so amazing to see all the outpouring love. Like you said, his uh, memorial is going on today as we speak, and just listen to all the great speeches, and you see that uh, building filled with so many great people. It's just so amazing the impact he has on the world. But one of the memories on the basketball court I want to point out is obviously the last memory we have of him, which is that 60-point game. And if you're from Sacramento, if you're a Kings fan, we all know the love-hate relationship you have with Kobe. You love him because of the competitor he is, but you hate him because he always beats you. So just seeing that game was probably the only time ever in my life that I actually was rooting for Kobe. And it was just really cool to see him put on a show, no matter how many shots he takes, because everyone in the building know we wanted Kobe to touch the ball and just put on a show. And that's what he really did. So that's one of my magical moments I really loved about Kobe. Mac, how about you? What was one of your favorite moments uh, about Kobe? Yeah, you know, I had a lot of uh, opinions about that 60-point game as well. You know, that was uh, when you talk about Kobe Bryant, that's one of my first memories I have because I remember sitting down, it was either watching Kobe's last game or watching the Warriors try to break 73 wins and just watching Kobe have that performance that he did was uh, it was something to watch. And, uh, you know, Sean and I, we were watching uh, some of the memorial service before we came in to record this podcast. Got us in our feelings. Yeah. The entire, everybody in the newsroom was crying. So it's, uh, you know, it's a sad day, but, you know, nice to look back on what he did for the game and that. Yeah, and you guys both touched up on that 60-point game in his last ever game. And he would have that type of game. And Exactly, <laughs> because like even before he passed away, like right after he retired, everyone is saying, who goes out there like who goes out there and scores 60 points in their last game Kobe that's who and 
I was about to say a cuss word there, and that's why I paused a little bit. I think I'm going to wait a little bit longer for Mac and I to start dropping cuss words on this podcast. As <laughs> just, we wait, re- just wait until baseball season starts. I've got a lot of it's opinions perfect about day Rob <laughs> Yeah, so Mac and I realized we could start dropping uh, cuss words on this podcast, uh, unlike Gary and myself with our KSSU radio <laughs> shows. So I'm actually going to wait to drop the first F-bomb. But anyways, um, you guys both touched up on that 60-point game, and the thought, the, the thought that I had about that game that I thought was so cool is Mac you mentioned that the Warriors were about to make history and they were going to win the most games in a season in NBA history, surpassing the Chicago Bulls with 73 wins. That history got moved to ESPN2 because what Kobe was doing was so amazing. And that just is a testament to Kobe Bryant in the final game that he had. My favorite memory, and we'll get it more into our other favorite memories throughout this segment, but my favorite memory of Kobe Bryant um, – happened three years before that and that was on april 12th 2013 for those of you who don't know that's the day that kobe bryant tore his achilles tendon against the golden state warriors and he stayed on the court and he made two free throws like it was easy nothing but net you have kobe's counterpart in shaquille o'neal who can't even make a free throw when he's fully healthy and you have kobe out there on a torn achilles making two free throws and he walks off the court that was my favorite memory of Kobe Bryant by far. That is mama mentality, right? That represents it from the fullest. And speaking on that, like great other moments I loved about Kobe was especially like seeing the all-star games, the camaraderie and respect he gets from Olympics, from all his teammates, from LeBron and Dwayne Wade and many other players like Tracy McGrady playing him in those matchups and the, the competitive fire he brought to those games. He made those games what they were in special, in special moments. So those are just the great moments I've seen about Kobe during his uh, basketball career. You know, Sean, you brought up uh, Shaquille O'Neal, and uh, that reminded me of another one of uh, moments that come come to mind when I think about Kobe. Uh, back in 2008, after they lost the finals to the Boston Celtics, Shaq got up on a stage and did a freestyle rap set telling Kobe to tell me how my butt tastes. <laughs> and I just, I loved, like, Kobe going out there and winning two more rings after that moment because Shaq was talking about you couldn't do it without me and we saw Kobe can still do it with or without Shaq and it was one of my favorite moments watching those watching those two finals yeah and and we know that in those final two championship runs that Kobe Bryant had he did have great teammates in Pog Gasol Derek Fisher Andrew Bynum at that time was really good um or knobby knees as I like to call him yeah <laughs> Exactly. So we know that Kobe Bryant still had a lot of good players on those championship teams, but the whole point is, is he didn't have another superstar right next to him. You could say Pogasol was maybe a superstar. I don't think so. In my opinion, he was an all-star. He wasn't a superstar. And that's what makes Kobe's final two runs so great. And also just uh, touching up on Shaq a little bit is Shaq was so happy that Kobe lost that 2008 finals because he could say, yeah, you couldn't do it without me. Yeah, I got four, you got three. Uh, and, and yet Kobe Bryant, the next two finals, one, two. So now he could it say... It was finals MVP both times. Exactly. So now Kobe could say, I got five, you got four. Now I want to get to my next memory. And this was such a cool memory. This came when I think all of us were around uh, eight years old, nine years old. And this was on January 22nd, 2006. Kobe Bryant scored a career-high 81 points against the Toronto Raptors and Jalen Rose. And it was, I had to mention Jalen Rose. Why you point him out like that? Had to mention Jalen Rose. Uh, And it was the closest that any NBA player has gotten to scoring 100 points like the great Will Chamberlain. And that was just Kobe leaving his mark. 
And the crazy thing about that game, they, they had to, like, he had to score every point for them to win that game. It wasn't like he wasn't running it up. They really needed it. So, Kobe Bryant overall, just amazing on the court, amazing off the court, and just everything he's done now, what he was going to do and was doing for women's basketball, from from acting, creating stories for kids, and um, just amazing things, being a husband, a son, everything you can count of, he was that person, and just a great role model to look up to. Yeah, you know, it's uh, great to see all the outpouring of support towards him and his daughter and for the other victims of the crash, but... You know, it's just a sad day for the world, and it's great to have all these memories to look back on. And unlike in his last game ever when he scored 60 points and he shot like 50 shots, (laughs) this 81-point game, he was highly efficient. He made 60.9% of his overall shots, 53.8% of his three-point shots, and 90% from the free throw line. We won't see anything like that today. That's, that's greatness. It's it's greatness. It's as simple as that. And also, I wanted to touch up on real quick something that happened almost exactly a month before that 81-point game on December 20th, 2005, when Kobe Bryant outscored the Dallas Mavericks 62-61 to through three quarters, and the, the Lakers were up by so much that he sat out the entire fourth quarter. So he very well could have scored more than 81 in that game. 100, uh, probably. He, he, he had a chance. <laughs> so, so Gary, what did you think about that? Uh, yeah, this, saying that, we all know Kobe was just a great scorer and everything like that. But I just want to touch up on real quick on what Max said. Like, you know, sad day, but like, you know, today's also like a great celebration of his life. And just hearing all the wonderful stories, the basketball stories, just endless, endless basketball stories from each person, each player uh, uh, saying their stories. So just want to say that he was a great person and just everyone just keep his legacy on 24, 2, and 8 for life. I, I'm not, I hated Kobe Bryant in those later years, especially when he kept making the All-Star game when it felt like he probably shouldn't, which may have led to... Especially the, in that last year. Yeah, it may have led to the tweaking of the fan vote element. Turn that down a little bit, but it just shows... Zaza did too. <laughs> That's a story for another day. But, uh, you know, it just shows the power and influence that he had in fans, players, coaches, everybody. He was still averaging 25 plus, though. He was still <laughs> yeah. averaging 25 yeah. plus. He was. We got Trey Young in the All Star game. Don't forget, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you you, you got to give the man his credit. And just the last thing that I want to say about Kobe Bryant before we move on to the NFL is that Kobe Bryant was not only one of the greatest basketball players of all time, but he was an amazing father, he was an amazing husband, and he was an amazing mentor, not only to his wife, his children, and to the, the kids that he coached on his daughter's team. But he was just a a great person overall. And not only did he do all that, but two years after retiring from basketball, the man won an Oscar. I mean, you can't really say much else. You can't really say much else than that. Um, Rest in peace to one of the greatest of all time. Perfectionist at his finest to the whole world. Oh, definitely. And and as Gary mentioned earlier um, here in the segment, it's that Mamba mentality. And Kobe Bryant might be gone, but that Mamba mentality is going to live on forever. And we saw it in his daughter, Gianna, who very well could have been one of the greatest women's basketball players of all time. And now it's on us, even though all three of us are Kings fans, it's on us to adapt that Mamba mentality and to carry it with us throughout the rest of our life. Whether if it's doing chores at home, trying to break out into the industry you want to for your career, you've got to carry that Mamba mentality. And if you do, you'll be great, just like Kobe. Keep it alive and preach that. All right, Mac, we want to thank Gary for coming in and joining us for the first segment of today's show, talking about the greatness 
of Kobe Bryant and uh, carrying on his memory forever. Now let's switch over to another sport and let's get to the NFL. So last week, Mac, you sent me a, a tweet from Adam Schefter that said that a new collective bargaining agreement had been proposed between the owners and the players in the National Football League. And I didn't think too much of it because I've heard a lot of this before in the past, but this actually could turn into something. So Mac, could you just tell our audience a little details about this collective bargaining agreement? Because the real main things about it is that they want to expand the season into 17 weeks, cut away some of the preseason games. Um, and there, there should be more compensation for the players, but the players have voted against it. So can you just uh, give a little more details on all of that? Yeah, so basically the two biggest thing, two biggest changes that were proposed by this collective bargaining agreement were expanding the season from 16 to 17 games and eliminating the fourth preseason game. So essentially we'd have three preseason games and then a full 17-game season. And a lot of people were against that, you know, just because the wear and tear that a whole season takes on players' body. I mean, you saw J.J. Watt come out immediately saying hard no on that proposed CBA. So, you see, and uh, I know know your guy, Emmanuel Sanders, traded midseason to the 49ers. He ended up playing 17 games just because of the weeks that he was traded in. And he's against 17 games in a season. So, you have to wonder, like, where the players' minds are. Yeah, and just the thing I wanted to add real quick right there is that they would have to play these 17 weeks with still only one bye week. Yeah. If there were two bye weeks with these 17 weeks, that would sound a lot better to these players because at least you could get a break at the beginning of the season and a break at the end. Yeah, something that I've heard a couple people, including my father, propose is that you know you can, you can have a 17-game schedule, but... You gotta. Everybody has to sit for at least one game, so they're only playing sixteen games. And I mean, that's something that I could see a lot of people being in favor of, just because you know you need those breaks in between, especially when you're going from like Saturday, Sunday night games to Thursday night games. You know, uh, Richard Sherman's been extremely vocal about not liking taking away those days. So, yeah, and you know, your dad does come up with a good proposal but my only thought process behind that is that that version of rest is almost like load management in the nba because we've here we've heard the nba get scrutinized uh, a lot in recent years especially guys like Kawhi leonard for load management and just sitting out for the sake of rest and Kawhi leonard is a guy who understands that it's about the long-term plan with winning a championship but the only flaw with that is is what about the one time a year that they go to Milwaukee and then the fans in Milwaukee can't see Kawhi Leonard play? So that's my only thought about that is that for those NFL fans that might only get to see Tom Brady once a year, if that's the one game that he has to sit out, you just miss out on seeing Tom Brady. So that would suck. That's true. But at the same time, you know, injuries can also force players to miss games like that. So, I mean, every time you buy tickets to a game, you're taking that risk, assuming that a player is going to be there. That's, That's a great point, Mac. And also, I just think that if... If they were to expand the season like this, just add an extra bye week. Add an extra bye week. It would be universally loved by the players. Um, so, Matt, can you just provide a little bit more details um, about this CBA? Do you have any other things that you wanted to add to it? Yeah, uh, the other big thing was expanding the postseason, the playoffs. So, right now, uh, six teams make it in from each conference, the four division winners and two wildcard teams. They are proposing that they add an extra wildcard team from each conference, meaning that 14 of the 32 teams would get in. Uh, for reference, if we were to, if this, if if this system was implemented in the past season, it would have been the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Los Angeles Rams in the playoffs. And I have concerns about this because 
They also want to eliminate the second bye, so it would be three games from each conference on wildcard weekend. I don't know if that's entirely sustainable, and do you really want to throw another team from each conference in there? I mean, we've seen teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers. They struggled this season. Do you re- people really want to see Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges in the playoffs? No, thank you. I'm good. And also, um, just relating to that, Mac, I saw – it was like a graphic or a stat or something on Twitter that um, represented like the last 10 years in the NFL. And they said, okay, this is what the playoff schedule would have looked like if they had this system for the last 10 years. The Pittsburgh Steelers were like six out of 10 of the Steelers would have made the playoffs every single year uh, for the last 10 years if they had this, but they had missed the playoffs like four or five times because they were that seventh seed, so to say. So it makes it, it makes it really interesting um, so now, Mac, let's just get to our overall thoughts about it. Are you for or against this new CBA proposal and why? I'm against the CBA. And I think, you know, while it does some things right, like they're obviously they're giving players uh, additional percentage of overall revenue. Uh, they're talking about fully guaranteeing fifth year options. They're reducing the penalties for marijuana tests. I like all of that. It just doesn't go far enough for me. The changes to the regular season and the postseason I, I don't like them. I think the playoff system as it is, is fine. You know, I think they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, reduce the number of 10 win teams that miss out on the playoffs. Cause I saw another statistic that said over the past, uh, however many years, I think it was 10 or whatever. So maybe, maybe it's since 2000, only one 10 winning team would have missed the playoffs under this proposed format. But at the same time, you know, there are seasons where not every team is going to get to 10 wins. You, we've seen, Teams like the Seahawks and the Panthers make it in with sub-500 records. And the Seahawks actually won a game with a sub-500 record. They beat the reigning champs. Yeah, so, I mean... Beastquake. Yeah, one of my favorite all-time moments, yes. But I just don't think the CBA goes far enough for the players. Uh, I'm I'm also uh, somewhat in favor of fully guaranteeing the contracts, not just the rookie deals, but all contracts. We saw Kirk Cousins kind of break into that threshold of fully guaranteed contracts, so... I think the CBA does some things right, but it doesn't do enough right for it to be overall. Yeah, you know, I agree. There's a lot of stuff on the surface that you mentioned, like uh, less punishment for marijuana, because we know, um, especially relating to marijuana, is that the NFL and the NBA are the two leagues that still test for marijuana and still penalize their players for the use of marijuana. And you think to yourself, why just the two NBA and the NFL? Well, the two, those two leagues have predominantly African-Americans in those leagues, which targets those people who just grew up with it in their surroundings when they grew up. So it leads to guys like Josh Gordon losing their careers over smoking weed, but you have Larry Fitzgerald, who's admitted to smoking weed his entire career, but it's just about knowing when those tests come. So there's a lot of stuff about this CBA that's nice on the surface of it, but when you get into the nitty-gritty of it, it just doesn't fully benefit the players it's not it's not player friendly and that's what the players association has to take into account when negotiating this kind of things you know and that's why a lot of people think we might be heading towards a lockout exactly and and this is the last year of the proposal and as mac alluded to earlier um it would increase the players revenue share to getting 48 percent of the overall nfl revenue that's still not 50 percent. so there's still some ways to go they they got to 
um, get more into the details on these things because, like I mentioned, a lot of it is service level and it looks good until guys like Richard Sherman and J.J. Watt, who are very intelligent, they read into this and mm-hmm. they, they look at every little term and stipulation and they realize this actually isn't so good for us, so it's fuck like, this shit. It's like a first draft. It's like a first draft of any essay or any assignment you would turn in college. You know, good, nice try, or maybe you wrote it the night before, whatever. Uh, but, you know, take it back, revise it, work on it, turn it in. Let's get a good one that's beneficial for both sides. I don't know if you caught that, but I dropped my first F-bomb. I, I did I catch like, that. I feel like I just broke the law. Yeah. But uh, that's what the National Football League just... Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna save mine. I'm going to save mine. Mac's going to save his for a special time. All right, Mac. Now let's move on to our final segment of today. And it was the biggest heavyweight boxing match since the 90s, you could really say. I mean, y- you think about boxing in the 2000s, and the only boxers who are really prevalent are like Floyd Mayweather and uh, Manny Pacquiao. You got Anthony Joshua, Vladimir Klitschko. So you have a handful of guys, but none of them are heavyweights. So we got two big heavyweights. You got six foot nine Tyson Fury and six foot seven Deontay Wilder. Both of these guys came into the fight with undefeated records. They both had a tie on their record from their draw in their last fight um, in 2018. But Deontay Wilder came into the fight with a 40-0 record and 39 knockouts, while Fury had a 27-0 record with 19 knockouts. As I mentioned, 6'7 versus 6'9, and you have a 44-pound weight difference as Wilder weighed 212 pounds and Fury weighed 256 pounds. Deontay Wilder came into this fight as the heavy favorite because of that right hand that he has being able to sleep anyone he wants. It's deadly. It's deadly, but it wasn't this Saturday. Uh, So, Mac, what did you think about this fight? Yeah, so I'm not sure how much uh, of the first fight or if a lot of boxing, you know, you watch. But uh, I watched the first fight. And I was of the opinion that Tyson Fury won that fight hands down. I think Wilder did get a lucky shot in at the 12th round, but there's no way that fight should have gone down as a draw. Fury, Tyson Fury clearly showed he's the better overall boxer. Wilder's got a heavy hand. He's he's the hardest hitter, you know, we've seen in a while. And I think, but he just doesn't have the technical and refined skills that most boxers does. And Fury just was able to outmaneuver him and he took him down. And the thing that I found really intriguing about this is that Fury knows that he won the last fight and he knows that he outboxed him. So he came into this fight heavier and he said, you know what? I'm not going to box you in this fight. I'm going to fight you. And that's exactly what he did. He wasn't going so much for points. Um, So now let's get to some stats. So anyways, I didn't I didn't say the result. Spoiler alert, Tyson Fury knocked out Wilder in the seventh round. TKO, his corner threw in the towel. As it, it was a technical knockout, as, as Mac just mentioned, because Deontay Wilder, he went to the hospital after this fight because his eardrum and his head got so messed up by Fury. So Tyson Fury threw 267 uh, punches in this fight. He landed 82 of them. On the other side, Wilder threw 141 and only landed 31 punches so fury landed 51 more punches in this fight and he had two knockdowns to wilder zero um i actually was a little bit surprised by this outcome i knew how good of a fighter tyson fury was but myself and a lot of other people went into this fight and we thought about how good tyson fury was but it doesn't matter how good he was because deontay wilder has that equalizer and he could end it 
in two seconds. So, and that's the thing that he was never able to do in this fight. And I give major props to Tyson Fury for limiting that. Yeah. Uh, I think once Fury was able to hit him with that hard hand on the ear, the fight was over pretty much then because Wilder never looked the same. When you start getting the spaghetti legs, you know, when your legs just kind of want to give out on you in the ring, that's pretty much a sign you're done. And, you know, he never looked like the same fighter again. You know, you look at the punches landed by round. Wilder landed five in the first round, 11 in the second round. He never landed more than five in a single round after the, after that second round. And I'm going to use a quote from my dad that he says in every fight that we ever watch you can't win a fight if you don't throw punches <laughs> and ultimately it just comes down the wilder doesn't have a jab established he doesn't like he's not like traditional fighters he he relies almost solely on the power and if you you're able to be exposed by that by somebody like tyson fury he knows what wilder is going to do out there and he took it full advantage of that he had him backed up. He had him backing up to the ropes almost every round. And once that, once Wilder went down, that was pretty much the end of the fight. They were kind of evenly matched through the first couple rounds, but it just wasn't. It wasn't a fight after that first knockdown. Did you buy the fight and did you watch it at your house? Um, that's for me to know and for everybody else to find out, including the government. <laughs> well, the government can know that I did not buy the fight. And I did I, not buy. I did not buy the fight. No. I bounced around from Facebook to Twitter to Reddit, just trying to find some type of boxing stream. Ever, ever since Mayweather Pacquiao, I don't buy fights. Same. That is the last boxing fight that I bought, and it was a hundred dollars, and it was a waste of you my. You paid a hundred dollars to watch interpretive dance. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So even though this fight had a lot of hype going into it, I was uh, really just—I'm looking for the word, but I think I was just cautious uh, about buying this fight. And 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 Tyson Fury through the whole thing, he was hyping up the fight, and this this fight had so much hype going into it, but. Tyson Fury kept saying, I'm going to knock him out in the second round. So my thought is like, I'm not going to spend $70 to watch 10 minutes of boxing. <laughs> so I didn't. And I bounced around from stream to stream. And I found out that the, in, uh, the internet police have gotten a lot better at shutting down these streams. Yeah, man, they've them. been cracking down in these, in the 2010s. Yeah. Because I had to bounce from like five different streams and I, I'm glad I actually saw the knockout. Um, and then I saw all the highlights online and everything, but Tyson Fury got the job done. and, uh, and One thing one thing I want to ask you, Sean, and I asked this to you uh, right after the fight. Um, so going into the fight, Tyson Fury said that he wanted to taste Deontay Wilder's blood. And uh, so this posed my question, who has the better tongue action? Was it Shakira or was it Tyson Fury? You know, that is a tough question. I said that to you when you texted me that question <laughs> over the weekend. Um, I'm going to go with Shakira because Shakira, like she just broke it out out of nowhere. Like she was in the middle of an amazing Super Bowl halftime performance. And well, I mean, she, Fury, Fury was in the middle of an amazing performance. But too. but she she went up to the camera and she was just like <laughs> and did some some crazy tongue, tongue action. Tyson Fury is licking the blood off of this guy's neck, which is a, a, little, a uh, little weird. It, it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in the boxing fight. And I immediately called for him to be deducted like three points. Uh, knowing that it wouldn't make a difference because he was just knocking the hell out of Fury. I mean, out of Wilder. But yeah, it was really odd to see. And it, yeah. And the last thing that I want to say about Tyson Fury, the the Gypsy King, is he has self proclaimed himself, and now he is the king of boxing. Um, this is something that our podcast editor Robbie and I were talking about before we started recording today. 
and it's that Tyson Fury was the overwhelming babyface going into this fight. And this is getting into WWE terms here. But he was the overwhelming babyface, and he was the hero. He had all of the, the Brits and the Irish people there in Vegas cheering for him. And Deontay Wilder was on the other side wearing his Black Panther gear, and he was just welcoming all the booze. And it was cool for me to see um, the Brit actually win and to see the babyface win at the end. And one thing I will never forget, and I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but now, from now on, anytime I hear the song American Pie, uh. I am going to think of Tyson Fury <laughs> because he serenaded the audience with American Pie after he won the fight. He is an odd dude, but you know what? He gets the job done, and now his next, his next, uh, he's got to look to unify the belts. You know, he could take on Anthony Joshua and unify the belts if Joshua doesn't run, because I think Joshua is losing to either one of these fighters. Oh, definitely. We are, we've already seen him lose to Deontay Wilder. Um, Ruiz. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry? Joshua lost to Andy Ruiz. Oh, and, no, but didn't he fight Deontay Wilder? No, Joshua's been ducking Wilder. For He's been longest. ducking Wilder. Yeah, That's what it, they haven't fought yet. See, but before before the Ruiz fight, I could have sworn I saw him get knocked out by someone, and he was, he was ducking him. Maybe I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Anthony Ruiz. Anyways, you're right. I agree. I think Anthony Joshua would lose to either one of these guys. This was an awesome fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And the thing that we haven't, neither of us have mentioned is that before the fight even started, there was a clause in both guys' contracts saying that if the loser wants a rematch, he just has to trigger a rematch in 30 days and then it'll happen. And there's no way Wilder doesn't exercise that. I mean, you saw he's a warrior. He was upset when his corner threw in the towel. He's going to be looking to yeah. exercise that rematch. Clause. He said, he said, I'm a soldier and I want to go out on my sword. And his, his corner didn't let him do that, but that's also because they care about him as a person and they were caring about his overall health rather than just one loss yeah. on his record. We've seen boxers die in the ring, and it's good that the corner didn't want a, re a repeat of that because he was not going to go down. I completely agree. All right, that's going to do it for the fifth ever episode of the Double Coverage Podcast with myself, Sean Holko, and my partner, Mac Irvin III. Tune in next week for our sixth episode. We want to thank our first ever guest, Gary Singh, for coming through to the studio today. And don't forget that you can check out any State Hornet sports content on statehornet.com sports. Catch you next Monday, everybody.